Before we get started with today's show, I wanted to tell you about another great ESPN podcast. First Take, Her Take, hosted by L. Duncan, Kimberly A. Martin, and Charlie Arnold, gives you a peek into their lives as they navigate their careers and relationships while giving their unfiltered opinions on the sports world's hottest topics. Listen to First Take, Her Take, wherever you find your podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Right Time. My name is Bomani Jones. Thanks for listening wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for watching us on YouTube. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. It is Foxworth Friday. Dominique Foxworth, what's going on? What's up, man? I'm ready to talk about anything except for playoff basketball because I have no idea what the hell is going on. I'm wrong every game, every week, every series. I, tell you, I see you in that black. You look like you're ready about to run up on somebody. I had to meet my, <laughs> I had to meet my homeboy for something in Midtown yesterday. He was doing a talk somewhere. He came out in the black, on black, on black. And I was like, dog, you look like you. your first words of your speech was, this is a stick up. Well, hopefully that's not what your homeboy was up to, but I mean, never know. Gotta make these ends meet somehow. The economy's struggling. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he looked like he's gonna be like, look, either y'all gonna listen or y'all gonna listen one way or another. But you know, we might talk a little playoff here with Dominique Fosworth uh, while we got him. But uh, Nick Saban is stirring up that hornet's nest, boy. Nick said that Texas A&M was the number one recruiting class. Alabama was number two, and he said that Texas A&M bought all they dudes, dude. Saban said that they so mad about this at Texas A&M. Jimbo called a press conference today. And by the way, let him behind the curtain a little bit. We recorded a whole Foxworth Friday and we had an audio issue. And so we had to come back and record another one. But it's cool because Jimbo called his press conference in between the two recordings. And here's a quote. We never bought anybody. No rules are broken. Nothing was done wrong. It's a shame that you got to sit here and defend 17-year-old kids and families in Texas A&M because we do things right. We're always going to do things right. We're always going to be here. We're doing a heck of a job. Yes, and this is the way it's phrased by my man Dave Wilson at ESPN. Fisher seethed, obviously taking Saban's comments personally. And while he didn't ever name Saban, Fisher's response was similarly personal. It's despicable that a reputable head coach can come out and say this when he doesn't get his way. The narcissist in him doesn't allow those things to happen. It's ridiculous when he's not on top. You ready for more? You ready for more? You ready for more? (laughs) Some people think they're God. Go dig into how God did his deal. You may find out a lot of things you don't want to know. We build him up to be the czar of college football. Go dig into his past or anybody that's ever coached with him. You can find out anything you want to find out. What he does and how he does it. It's despicable. Full Nino Brown on him. <laughs> How about this? They say Saban called him and Fisher hasn't answered. Not going to. We're done. I love it, personally. I've enjoyed it. But I, I don't hold get on, what Hold on, 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 hold on. There's more, Dominique. Oh, God. You remember, you know, because Jimbo worked with Bobby Bowden. Don't forget that. Yep. He's like, he says this about Saban. He's the greatest ever, huh? When you got all the advantages, it's easy. You coach with people like Bobby Bowden and learn how to do things. You coach with other people and learn how not to do things. There's a reason, people, I ain't back and work for him. Don't want to be associated with him. You can call me anything you want to call me. You can't call me a cheat. I don't cheat and I don't lie. I learned that when I was a kid. If you did, your old man slap you upside the head. 
Maybe somebody should have slapped him. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. What's funny in that talk right before he said that about us, wasn't he soliciting funds from the crowd? It's amazing, isn't it? When you walk on water, I guess it doesn't matter. Somebody asked Jimbo if it was going to be awkward at the SEC meeting. Awkward about what? I don't mind confrontation. Live with it my whole life. Kind of like it myself. Backing away from it wasn't the way I was raised. When did Jimbo become my favorite college football coach? Yo, <laughs> yo, yo, yo. Jimbo had enough. Fisher hinted that Saban's comments this offseason about Hope's parody can return to college football were hypocritical based on the way he ran his own program with a huge staff of off-field analysts. The operations, the way things were done the other way when the parody was there. Never had been parody. Certain people never follow the rules anyway. You know exactly what he's about. My dad always told me this. When people show you who they are, believe them. He's showing you who he is. Dog, I didn't even think what Saban said in the beginning was that harsh. So when we found out that they were planning a press conference, it went through my mind. Like, I wonder if the boosters or the school president or somebody was like, man, you got to get out there and speak up and you got to get out and quell some of this stuff. If Jimbo was like, I need to get out there and, and speak to this. It's very clear by the comments that Jimbo called this press conference. Yes. The school president <laughs> found out about it the way we did on Twitter. <laughs> he was like, I, I got some things to get off my chest oh my god he let loose on the oh my goodness beverly-esque part of what i do think is interesting though where he was like you see that i didn't stay with him and it is of note when saban went to the nfl jimbo stayed at lsu right like i'm pretty sure will muschamp went with him to miami when he made that trip but Jimbo said, nah, he wasn't going to do that. He stayed at LSU for a couple of years and then wound up going to Florida State with Bobby Bowden. So there does seem to be some measure of truth there. And I've noticed that when people start doing like the get-togethers of the former saving assistants, Jimbo typically isn't listed among those guys. He don't want to be on that tree. That man is trying to branch out and have his own tree. Well, I also wonder, though, there's not great clarity on what happened with that UAB situation in 2007 where Jimbo oh, was yeah. offered that job and then it was pulled back, right? Like, does he blame Saban for some of that? But hey, man, I don't know if Jimbo's thinking this out. Some press conferences are for the world. Some press conferences are for the nation. But in college sports, unless there's a major scandal brewing, all press conferences are local. That was for his people. And you have to understand, I tell y'all this all the time. I know those people. I went to a high school whose colors were maroon and white. And the fight song was the Aggie wore him. Okay. I know those people. Mm-hmm. Fans of little brother schools and Texas A&M is a little brother school, whether you want to admit it or not. They eat stuff like this up. Like if he was, if, if this was about Texas, and the coach of Texas came out and did this, it would, I mean, the fans would appreciate it. They would like it. Don't get me wrong. But you do this at an A&M or any school that ends in state, tech, or A&M, this is what they live for. Live for. Even though I agree with fundamentally what Nick Saban was saying, and he didn't say it out loud, but this is what he's really saying. Ain't nobody trying to go to no college station for free if they don't have to. 
Because I'm not sure. Will Muschamp used to have jokes about College Station all the time. Ain't no, ain't no way Texas A&M getting no number one recruiting class without throwing no bread. Now, granted, ain't no way nobody else is getting no number one recruiting class without throwing out bread. But ain't no way Texas A&M is doing it really without throwing out no bread. Like, every time somebody talks about Texas as being an underachieving program, which is true, the most underachieving program of the last 50 years in change. There's no question about that one. What does that say about Texas A&M? Because they've still been little brother in that time. And by the way, the times when they were good in the intervening time period, what happened next? The NCAA showed up because they was giving people money. That's all I'm saying. They ain't never won without giving people money. The difference is you're allowed to give people money now. So nobody really understands what Nick Saban is talking about. I think that's what kind of rubs me the wrong way about Nick Saban. And maybe I'm too cynical, but... I understand College Station is harder to get people to go to than Alabama, but I kind of assume that the top dogs have been finding a way to break a little off everybody the whole time. So this foolishness about parody, go back to the days of parody where people was following the rules. What? Like <laughs> y'all was doing something too. Like, stop it, Nick. Don't be out here pointing fingers. Your house got to, I mean, it may not be fully glass, but there's some panes. There's some glass panes on, on your house that you need to protect. Yeah, well, I think there's obviously there's that, right? And I also think, here's the thing about being the head coach of a major program. Don't nobody care what you say when it comes to pay. You can say, don't pay these cats. They're going to go pay these cats, right? They're not going to leave this in the hands of your morality. Like, those people want to win just as bad as you want to win, and they're going to make the contribution that you want to make. Now, Jimbo, of course, makes the point, you talk about parity when y'all got all the money in the world to have a bunch of legitimate head coaches out here working as interns, right? <laughs> like breaking down your film and everything else. And you go, like, Alabama, the thing that makes Alabama different than everywhere else, from what I've been told, I think Spencer was the one telling me, he talked to somebody about this, and they were like, Alabama says yes to anything that'll make the football program better. Like if Nick Saban comes in and says, I need an F-14 fighter plane because it's going to make the football team better. They will have an F-14 fighter plane out there. Like they're that bottom line oriented about what it takes to get it done. And being in the SEC, they had all the money to go ahead and make that happen. So I think there's something to Jimbo being like, so the problem is you're just not number one right now and you got an issue with it. I do think he's got an issue with competition with Jimbo because remember this, I think this part gets forgotten. It fell apart for Jimbo at Florida State in a strange way. But I would make the argument that not even Nick Saban, I don't know if anybody's ever had a team more talented than the 2013 Florida State Seminoles. That is as dominant a machine as we have ever seen. And them being in a border state from Alabama, that was going to be a thing for Nick for a long time until Jimbo just decided he didn't want to do his job anymore and then got out of there. So this is brewing, I would say. I mean, it just feels like, and this is the obvious thing, it just feels like they're losing their grip on power in part because they've been squeezing too tight for so long. And this is not Nick Saban as an individual. It's the whole institution of college football. And now they've been squeezing so tight that some of the power spilled out and is spilling out into the boosters and the local businesses, which means that Nick Saban still don't have the power. Like if you are, if someone is paying the players and it ain't you, that's who got the power. That's who has the influence. And it's either the people who are paying them or the players, which is the scariest thing for them. As we've seen more often now is that 
since the school is not paying the players to work for them, which is what they're doing, then the school doesn't have much influence over them before they were paying them with scholarships. And the kids were also um, with the transferring rules, they were kind of stuck. And so you had leverage over them. And now we're in a situation where the transfer rules have changed and the money is not coming from you. And it's not even going like affiliated with your program. It's a local business. Like, I think that's the scary future that got Nick Saban all upset because I, I, I kind of get where you're coming from, but I also feel like, Nick, you can't, you, you can't, first of all, you can't use the word parody and you Correct. can't be upset about how things are changing and act as if you still don't have a decided advantage. Well, here's the difference, I would say, in the ways that payments are being dispersed now versus before. And this is where this gets to be weird. And if I were a coach, I don't know what I would do with this either, which is they were giving that money to grownups before, right? Like they weren't giving that money to players. The money now, the checks are being cashed to them. Like it wasn't players meeting the bag man at the bar to get the check. It was the gatekeeper that was running this. I'd always made the argument. The kids got no idea what the money game actually is. They just going on visits, you know, trying to live out he got game, you know what I'm saying, and coming back. And they always make their own decision. Like, that's the thing. Maybe a dad is like, nah, you got to go there. You know what I mean? But the kid is always the one that actually makes the decision. The thing is, I can get him to go there. If you pay me, I can steer him in this direction. But it's always done with the appearance that the decision itself is legitimate. And so I think that's part of where this is a little bit different, where the decision might be legitimate, but the incentive structure is a bit more out front. And again, the money is not going to grownups. The money is actually going to wind up going to players, which again, I see how that gets to be mighty unwieldy because now these cats, it's like that thing at Miami where that one player looked and saw another dude got a better NIL deal than him. And he was like, yo, run me my money or I'm gonna run up out of here. Makes sense. I mean, it makes sense. But I I guess where the reason why the Nick Saban thing has me hung up and a little confused is we give Nick Saban all this credit because he has so much success and he like comes off as like thoughtful. And I mean, he seems to be thoughtful. This doesn't seem to benefit him. Like whining about this publicly. If, if you say all press conferences are local, who in that area, or is he just trying to defend himself because they about to start stinking? He made the mistake they always make. This was at, I saw it described as a Birmingham, Alabama event, which is to say, this is one of those, I'm in the room with my people and they like, yo, why we ain't number one in recruiting no more, dog? A booster function. And they always get in trouble at these booster functions. That's where Jimbo last year, then he said they were going to kick their asses. Remember that? Yeah, I remember that was that. at a booster function. Like, this is the same type of thing. But A&M, in all their little brother glory, because this is the thing I figured out about A&M, okay? What they struggle with there is understanding they don't know no black people. <laughs> you understand what I mean? And so they just can't figure out why it is that they ain't never been able to make this thing go. Right now, you know, they just they, that's the part that they I love College Station. It's been excellent. And they like, oh, look at all the great tradition. And then they show all the weirdos in the crowd and overalls and sh doing the white man swag surf, you know, and singing a little weird songs. And the cheerleaders is a bunch of dudes in dicky suits down on the ground, you know, and all that. I think all I'm saying is they don't understand that that is far more attractive to the hundred thousand people at the stadium than it is to a sample of the 85 that you're trying to get on scholarship, right? 
And so they've always like, why can't we get this? Why can't we get that? Why can't we pull that off? Like, it's worth noting that when their real best run that I can think of was when they had their black man whisperer, Jackie Sherrill, and then he handed the reins off to Slocum, and then they kept that going. But that's what it took. Jackie Sherrill had to get in here and be like, no, nah, don't worry. I know how to get this done. I know how to get <laughs> this done. We'll, 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 yes. we'll get them balls yes. to come down here, right? Like, we'll make that happen. But they don't get that. Do we ever get to the point where the schools just pay directly? Because like I feel no. like they don't want that, but that then puts the power back in their hands. Like the power that they want, the influence over these players, the ability to lock them in comes from paying for their labor instead of trying to get a local car dealership or a, a local coffee shop to pony up and get this fake NIL endorsement. Here's the thing, though. If you're a booster, would you rather make the payment yourself because you then have the power? Right. Right, because yeah. if you take your money and you just throw it into a fund and then the school disperses the fund, because that's the thing. The school ain't never going to try to pay their payers out of the budget, even if it happens. They're going to solicit donations, be like, yo, well, why don't we just get the money from where the money's already been coming through? And then we get the power and the boosters are like, well, nah, man, then we ain't necessarily going to be able to get this kid to come perform at a birthday party. By the way, how often did you have to do that stuff, like show up for the booster things? Um, Not that often. I mean, we didn't have the big booster network here. Like we would... I don't remember ever doing like just a favor for a booster. Like we would go to schools and do like that sort of stuff, but never anything like that. They were cool. But I get what you're saying. No one's ever introducing a middleman to the process, <laughs> you know, like which is what the teams would become. But this is a middleman that is already in the middle of the process. Yes. That's why this is all so crazy. Right. I, I get you on the booster side is you don't want to be. You don't want to become that middleman or you don't want to let the, the school take that power away from you. But so you're recruiting now like <laughs> because you still have to like someone has to communicate it to the player. Yeah, but they also like being the guys who are the ones who did it, like to be able to tell their friends like that's mine right there. I mean, like it's don't make people uncomfortable, but the truth is for them, it's like buying a racehorse. You know what I mean? Like this is this is the racehorse that I bought. This is you know, this is where I put this down. I assume that's the motivation for most boosters. It's like there's some love of your alma mater or love of even if you ain't go there, love of your local thing. But it's a it's the ability to like be a part of something and to get credit for. It. Yeah. And I get that allure. I imagine if like these guys have made a or families, frankly, have made a ton of money and don't nobody know who they are and they in a small town, which is what most of these college places are, are in. They want people to be like you, the man. They yeah. want to be up there at the on the grass at the national championship game. That has to be cool. It's worth a couple million, I guess. Yeah, but see, this is the argument. Like, if I was saving, why well, I would have laid low, or what I would have flexed on when I was in that room of people. This NIL thing happening came up at a very interesting point in American history, which is the global pandemic, right? But the reason that's important and the thing that people didn't really see coming that did happen was people who were already rich got really rich, right? So we're like, I mean, this is an extreme example, of course, but pandemic started, Elon Musk was worth $25 billion, Now Elon Musk is worth $125 billion. Now, a lot of Elon Musk work in, you know, jumping up in that worth. And by the way, I'd love to see that updated with all this crypto crash because it was a lot to do with like cryptocurrency. And so what you did wind up seeing is a lot of people came into a lot of money that they didn't have. And a lot of new people came into money that they didn't have before. The University of Miami and what's going on there with Cristobal 
and them throwing all that money out there. And everybody was like, look, they got new billionaires now. And a lot of that billionaire stuff came off of crypto. Texas A&M, when they hired Jimbo Fisher, the price of crude was riding high and their money was getting that money off their crude oil. And so they were able to take that money and then give him that giant, ridiculous contract that they gave him. My point being, all this money that I'm talking about in those circles is volatile, okay? Just because Texas A&M got this bread to throw around right now doesn't mean that bread's going to be there for long. And I'm real curious to see, as this crypto stuff bottoms out, how many of those people stayed on their positions and were true believers in this because that money they were throwing isn't necessarily money they're going to be able to throw around for long. So like the fluctuations and as we see this go and as we see this market change, something drastic could happen to this economy in the next year, year and a half. Of the, I mean, and you just look at it. Basically, American capitalism appears to be falling apart. I want to see how that progresses for these people who are getting in on these collectives and starting these clubs to give money, right? Like the companies and businesses, maybe, you know, that's a little bit different here. But just these people who came up on these big scores and they had nothing better to do with the money, like they couldn't get one of them monkeys, you know, one of the, one, one of the, one of the, one of them digital monkeys, they couldn't do that. And so they made it rain on the program. You know what I'm saying? Like, but all of that stuff, as the crypto money goes away, I really want to see what happens and how it affects this market that we're talking about. It's not just the crypto money, though. I mean, the crypto money has crashed worse than just about anything else. But the market in general has been rough on people. I don't know where it is. Like I was going to say, maybe it's a real estate. Is there is a real estate magnate who's who's riding high? But I mean, if you're in commercial real estate, you ain't riding high because of the pandemic. I don't know who's riding high, but I think it's safe to bet going forward that whatever industry is popular in your neighborhood, if they are riding high, your football team going to get real good real soon particularly when it's stuff like gains from the market or gains from cryptocurrency, because as we all know from our own experience, the money harder to part with when it was harder to get into your pocket. You know, like I, I've experienced that in my house where the kids, they spend it a lot easier than I spend it. It is, they are fine with trying to get some Fortnite bucks. I'm like what? <laughs> no, we ain't, we ain't about to buy nothing on Fortnite. Like I work hard for this. I tore my ACL for this money. You ain't about to buy a lightsaber on Fortnite. I imagine that's the same feeling, but if I hit a lick, because uh, I mean, it's not it's not going to be crypto because I don't got no money in that, but I hit a lick out of just a surprise market goes up and hey, maybe it's new car time. College football is always crazy or college sports, generally speaking, is always crazy. But I do think all the doomsayers are like, this is going to be chaos. They were right. I'm just not bothered by it. But they were absolutely correct because I talked about this before. And I put you on that book, the institutions, institutional change and economic performance, right? Doug North. But the biggest lesson out of that is a formal institution has changed, but the informal institutions are still what run the day. And so if we jump all the way into what the formal institution is, there's going to be a measure of chaos because nobody is ready for what that is, right? Like the actual life hasn't caught up, except in this case, the game was always throw some money around and see what happens. And then a lot of money came around and then you were able to do it out front and everything flipped. Everything went over the place. I'm going to just tell you youngsters this. Because I understand they're offering y'all a lot of money and it would be great. The big reason to take the money is that it'll give you a good head start for when you get out of school, whether you go to the league or not, right? Like if somebody gives you 200000 I would recommend to all of them, take a little chunk for yourself, but bank it all because you're going to need something to get started when you get out. It's a cold world out here, right? So if you can pull that off, have no loans, have like a couple hundred Gs stacked up, you're going to wind up in a good place. However, that is not a good enough reason to go to a not good place. And all I'm saying is you would have to pay me 
$5 million a year to go to Texas A&M because I know that somebody else is willing to throw me a bunch of money too that will not require me to go to College Station. And I understand this right now. Those of y'all who are from up north and out west and those places, y'all think all the South the same, right? Like you think it's just all South. And I get you. I don't blame you for drawing that conclusion. Like I used to think New York and New Jersey were the same thing, but even though Brooklyn and Manhattan ain't the same thing, right? I get you. But y'all think all South the same. Trying to make sure y'all understand this. It's different kinds of South, okay? Like Oxford, Mississippi, they got that Confederate flag problem. At least they used to. They seem to get it under control. It's Paris. France compared to Starkville. Okay. You understand no. what I'm saying here? You you no. you get you get where I'm coming from? Like that's all I'm telling y'all. South ain't all the same. Tuscaloosa versus College Station. I am going to Tuscaloosa er time. I was with you. I, I felt like I was on your side of this, telling all the northerners, not that I'm not one of them, but tell them that the South is all the same until you just tried to convince me that. <laughs> Oxford, Oxford, Mississippi is Paris, France compared to College Station. I ain't never been in. I said compared to Starkville, Mississippi. Oh, Starkville. OK. Right. Number one. And number two, compared to College Station, you I bet you would take Oxford. No I question. Never in my been mind. None of them places. I'm, I'm dumb. That's but that's what I'm trying to tell you. See, going. that's the problem. See, I was trying to tell you not all South the same. And you just heard Mississippi and you did some up north. Sh- and you yep. was just like, oh, there will Mississippi. Oh, there we go. <laughs> I'm I'm just I'm just trying to explain. No, I, I know that they say like I've been to Birmingham, I've been to a bunch of places, been to Atlanta, been outside Atlanta, and I know the difference between Atlanta and Georgia. Like I understand that, but I ain't been to the deep, deep parts that you've been to because I don't I don't But that's what I'm saying. I, like Starkville, Starkville is more deep, deep than Oxford is deep, deep. Like that's what I'm trying to say. College Station is a lot more like Starkville than it is like Oxford. Cause see, like you played in the ACC. And something that's really underrated about the ACC is the ACC doesn't really have terrible college town. Like, honestly, the worst college town in the ACC that you played in might be Tallahassee, and it got FAMU in it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, I mean, Clemson? Yeah. yeah. But, but otherwise, but yeah. you ain't got no place where you're like, damn, this is where we at? Yeah, Georgia Tech is in Atlanta for real Atlanta. Like, it's really in Atlanta. It's yeah. not like we close to Atlanta. Like, Maryland, we say we're in D.C., but no, we actually close to D.C., Georgia Tech is actually in Atlanta. And then we got all the the, uh, the North Carolina tech schools and North Carolina schools. And that's that's like a, a um, liberal enclave in North Carolina out there. You know, going to Duke and UNC, NC State, maybe a little bit, but it's still the same. Even still, Raleigh is not a bad place to be. Yeah, not at all. Charlottesville. Like Clemson is the closest one to be in a place in the ACC where you got to be like, I don't know about that one. But like the SEC, the SEC also doesn't have a lot of bad places until they started adding school. So you get Texas A&M, Columbia, Missouri. I don't think that's really hitting off on a bunch. But like Fayetteville, Arkansas is not terrible. You know, like 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 if you wind up there, you're not gonna be like, what am I doing? Starkville, Mississippi. A little different situation going on there. Like I wouldn't do Columbia, South Carolina, but it's not like, oh my God, I can't believe you live there. Pac-12 got like, Three, four places. I'm like, word? That's you, huh? Okay. <laughs> I guess. Uh, 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 Pullman, Washington, eh? Yeah, that sounds scary. Have you given any thought to like where you think this, as far as like it feels chaotic and unpredictable, but I don't see the NCAA getting, or the schools allowing the NCAA to regulate them in the future. So like the NCAA is going to be powerless really well, soon, but what do you, how do you think this ends up? Well, I do think it eventually... 
I can see it turning into like the Power Five becoming their own thing. But the problem is with that argument, the NCAA isn't the problem. I mean, they are in the sense that they are like the representation of college sports to us. But I don't know why people think the Power Five folks would have different aims and goals than the NCAA would. Like the problem I think that college football has in particular is the graduations between the divisions are too broad. You know what I mean? So like FBS, that, that means so many different things like within that. It means different things within the power five. Like they, they just aren't, you know, there's, there's too much variance for them to be able to make like catch all rules that actually apply to everybody. Like it's the closest thing to trying to negotiate a CBA for the football players. Like what it means for quarterbacks is totally different for what it means for rookies and what it means for veterans and everything else, right? Like there's not enough commonality between those schools. So I think they're going to break away, but then they're going to find out they ain't no better at running nothing neither. And it's going to be the same level of chaos. They don't have any, it's not like they want to break away to stop exploiting the kids. They're good with that. They don't have a problem with that. And it's just going to be more chaos until this whole thing collapses upon itself. So that's the question. It's like, it has to level out at some point or it will destroy itself. So like, what is going to be the leveling state? Like, where will the power end up? Will the players continue to have this flexibility to transfer in like this power that they have now? Like the players have more power now. Individual players have more power now than they ever have in college football to the point where they walking around like free agents threatening to leave and the coach has got to be nice to them, which I don't have a problem with. But I can't imagine that the coach is going to let that go on for long. So how do they rein that power back in, particularly in a climate where the Supreme Court made it quite clear? Y'all, y'all don't y'all on that bullshit. And if somebody bring it up here, we're going to make it clear to them that y'all are on that bullshit. So like, where do they, I don't know. I mean, it's fine not to know, but I I just don't know where it's going to end up. Let me tell you who I think needs to start paying attention to this. And clearly we ain't getting to no NBA playoffs of Patrick Beverly because this is just too juicy. The NFL needs to really be paying attention to this because look, if college basketball collapsed, Right. Because I mean, this is this is also part of the same thing. Right. If college basketball collapsed, the D-League would do some fairly significant expansion. They'd be something for them players to do. Right. To still develop and get ready to come to the NBA. They come in at 19 anyway. So the NBA is getting these unfinished products as it stands. Okay, what would the NFL do if there were no college football? There is no infrastructure. Nobody's even thought of an infrastructure to take care of the player development. And the NFL always gets them three years in. Right. Like if I'm the NFL, I'm looking at this. Somebody's got to take the job of let's play for worst case scenario. Now, the NBA seems to be operating a little differently because the NBA is trying to compete with college basketball. They are trying to get the best players to go play in G League Ignite or whatever this stuff is, you know, and, and make it happen there. The NFL doesn't have those plans. So what in the world would they do if there were no college football? And football is not basketball. Like basketball, you can probably spring up a league <laughs> relatively easily and you could figure some things out. And there's their international leagues. So like your players can go there or you can even get players from there. Like there is a lot of um, opportunities there in basketball. Football ain't the same. There ain't no respectable international football leagues and you can't really just pop up a developmental football league in the same way. But in negotiations, one of the points that I thought was important, but I got pushed off quickly because don't nobody care, was the three-year rule. 
Because the end of the reason why college football is part of the reason why it's as great as it is, is because the NFL refuses to let you into the league unless you're three years removed from high school. So you can go sit at home for three years and then try to enter the draft or you can go play college football because, as we mentioned, there are no international leagues. There's no developmental leagues. That's your only choice. And the power five schools have benefited greatly from having that role. And during the negotiations I was a part of, that was one of the day one things that like as a young feeling principled person. I was like, we got to stop this just because it's wrong. And then we realized that we ain't giving nothing up <laughs> in order to, to stop that. Like we ain't going to take no money out of our pocket for that to happen. And it wasn't the support there to do it. But it's interesting. They've lived in a world where they've always had this free minor league and they didn't even have to worry about it. And it, they were building up stars too. The thing that we talk about for basketball a lot is we know these football players. We have expectations. We have a relationship with Trevor Lawrence before he showed three year relationship with Trevor Lawrence before he even shows up. And that's all valuable to them. But I don't know what happens going forward. And the NFL may need to take some of them bucks and get involved and, and sort this out. Maybe that's the answer. Man, that three year rule, the most useless rule in sport. Useless. Because look, how many players can you name that could have even thought about this after <laughs> one or two years? Not many, but I got like Bo Jackson, Adrian Peterson, Randy Moss, but even Randy Moss physically wasn't ready. Like Dar Derek Stingley, maybe, but physically was he ready to go do that? Like it's so few people whose bodies are ready to go. Like there might be one year where everybody go do it and then it's going to be year two. Hey, man, you know, my man been out eight weeks. But I think that the reason why the rule is useful from the NFL standpoint is because it's potential and you end up drafting and paying somebody on potential. Whereas now Trevor Lawrence, obviously anybody who had a good freshman year, especially a quarterback, they're going to get drafted and then they'll be on a roster, not playing and developing them. So they don't have to do that now. So I think whether the, the question isn't who was actually ready, the question is how many people would get drafted if the rule wasn't there. But that's where, because like with the NBA, I think it reached a point where they had to draft those guys, right? Like after Garnett and they see Kobe and Tracy McGrady, it's like, okay, well, we got to be the ones to get them. With the NFL, I'm like, do you have to? Because especially you're going to have to effectively redshirt these dudes. And unlike in college, you got to pay them to redshirt. You know, so I've just always thought that the calculus on the draft is not necessarily like going to be right. And how many of them are willing to take those chances to get a guy or what the salaries will wind up being like for a guy that you know you're taking to just redshirt. I, as starved as this league is for quarterbacks, if there was no role, I could see a world where five-star quarterbacks were getting drafted straight out of high school because they're like, he going to be something. And I'm looking over at Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, and I'm like, man, if I got to wait six years till I have it, I'm going to draft him there. Maybe not in other positions, but I could see that happening. Well, what I think would probably need to be the case if they do that is that the draft would be like similar to what baseball does, where nobody declares for the draft. You're just like, it's yeah, it's just out there. And so baseball draft got a hundred million picks you got this high school player you don't know if he's gonna come or not draft him whenever and you know if he doesn't then okay cool he comes back three years later or you know whatever it happens to be and then he comes out and then we go from there like maybe that's how such a thing that, like that's the way a system like that i think could work but all of it i told you a very good friend of mine one of the smartest people i know he told me when covid hit he was like covid is going to accelerate everything Everything that you see happen after COVID was going to happen already. It's just going to happen a little bit faster now. So what looks like the pending collapse of this system 
we always knew that was probably going to happen, right? It was, I mean, it was already, it was always built on fiction and lies. So like, it was always a good chance that it was going to happen, but it's moving fast now. And I'm telling you, I'm really worried about what this economy going to be like when uh, they were giving out them stimulus checks. And I think it was the Fed that said, we got to be careful because we don't want to overheat the economy. And people who didn't know nothing about those terms are like, well, I'll heat me up. But what they're saying is there's more dollars out here than there are goods to be purchased, which is going to throw up prices. And just because there's more dollars out here don't mean you got more dollars, right? And so then what is everything that happens as a result of all this stuff coming up and going around? Well, right now we're seeing that with college football. It's a lot of money. If a college basketball player I'd never heard of was getting 800 Gs at the University of Miami, I cannot imagine what the game is right now. I saw B. John Robinson on Instagram with a Lamborghini from the local Lamborghini dealership. And guys, I'm just saying right now, the Lamborghini people have to be smart enough to know, don't you get that boy the keys to that thing? Yeah, they should give him money, not not a car. But the if we look at, I was going to say look at it like a business. So the NFL is very much a collection of a bunch of businesses. And if you ever paid any attention, took any business classes, run any business, you never want to have one supplier. If you got one supplier, you in trouble because if that supplier gets in trouble, then you got a problem. And the NFL has always only had this one supplier and things are rickety right now for that particular supplier. You put on top of it the acceleration of all the good and bad things that are happening in our society. And the future is grim for college sports. Or not grim. The future is unpredictable for college sports. And one thing the NFL don't like is unpredictable. They'll pay more for stability because they're on top, which ties into Nick Saban. Because when you're in control, predictable is nice. When you are at the bottom of the pyramid, you're like, chaos, give it to me. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe maybe we shake this thing up. I'll end up on the top of this thing. Yep. Got to play to win. <laughs> exactly. I, it's worth rolling the dice if you if you broke. If you roll in the dice when you got billions, you're like, why am I rolling the dice? I got two aces. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Mixing all types of metaphors, but you get the point. Yes. Yes. But hey, ladies and gentlemen, that is Dominique Fosworth. Check him out on Get Up. Check him out on Anscape. Check him out on Debatable. And you might see him out your window while he wearing that all uh, black with them black Air Force Ones. You know what I'm saying? But first, I also want to tell you guys for the Right Time Book Club, June 13th is when we're getting started. The book is King of the World by David Remnick. It's a biography of Muhammad Ali, Peel's Surprise winning book. Check that out. Also called voicemail line 860-516-4119. Tell us about that time you had to be the person to bring it home. Everybody messing up around you, but you had to step up, bring that thing home. Like Dominique Fosworth at Western Tech in the year 2000. You know what I'm saying? I'm the quarterback now. You got to find a way to get that done. But ladies and gentlemen, Thank you so much for joining us here on The Right Time. We do this three times a week. Gabe, Bassane, and Adi Khan handle things behind the scenes. Also, thank you for watching on YouTube. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater, and we'll talk to you guys in a couple of days. Take it easy. Thanks for checking out The Right Time with Bomani Jones Podcast. You can listen or follow on the ESPN app or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Right Time with Bomani Jones.